The next readings from the Old Testament from Psalms. We'll be reading from Psalm 7. Psalm 7. A Shigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. Lord my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. Lord my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil, or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring an end the violence of wicked and make the righteous secure, you, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. My shield is God Most High, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness. I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you here this morning. And if we haven't met before, my name is Rick. It's great that you can join us. And I'd love to meet you later on. Let's get myself sorted up here. We're going to spend some time now looking at this psalm a little bit more, Psalm 7. And throughout the rest of the summer holidays, we're going to be going through a few of the psalms. Psalms are great for a number of reasons. It's great to, to read and to meditate upon. One of the things that I love about the Psalms is that it takes the things that we know of God and it, it, the Psalmist reflects on those often in a, in a real life situation. And so you really feel the significance of it on some particular aspect of life. And that's what we see in this Psalm 7 that we've just read and that we're going to spend some time reflecting on again now. I'm going to pray. We've just heard God speak to us. I'm going to pray that as we continue to reflect on it, that we will hear it with the ears of faith. Please join me. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. And we pray that now as we continue to reflect on these words, please Help us to be people whose trust in you is, is grown and strengthened so that it does flow out into the ways that we live our lives. May we be people who want to trust you in every aspect of life. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Where do you fit in the order of the children in your family? I, 
you know, first child, last child, somewhere in the middle. I heard it said that where you come in the order of your family makes a difference to your personality, um, that the oldest are different to the youngest in various ways. And I heard a statistic, actually, that said that most U.S. presidents are the oldest children in the family and most comedians are the youngest children in the family. <laughs> Lockie's doing some fist pumps over that, yeah. Um, and one of the stereotypes of oldest children in the family is that they are, have a very keen sense of what's fair and what's not fair. You know, you, you know that, right? Yeah, this real keen sense of justice. I guess the stereotypical example of that is, you know, when I was six, I had to go to bed at seven o'clock, and now that my little brother is six, he gets to stay up till eight o'clock, and it's not fair. I see some oldest children nodding along to that. Now, that's just a trivial example, but when it comes to real injustice, doesn't matter who we are, we feel the pain of that, right? Particularly when we're experiencing the consequences that come from real injustice. Just this past week, I've been hearing a story about a guy who was accused of something, and then the people who were investigating and judging the accusation, it seemed like they were colluding, that they were in going in with the people who'd made the accusation, that there was no due process this guy had no right of reply. He just had to hear the, the accusations and hear the, de, the deliberations of the judgment. And as a result, he lost his job and was no longer able to support his family. In fact, he can't work in his, his field of, of profession at all anymore. And, um, and so he's feeling the consequences of injustice. And that kind of situation is the kind of situation that this psalm is addressing. Being falsely accused of something and then feeling the consequences of those accusations. And so the question that we're going to be asking today is, how should we respond in that situation? Maybe you've been in that situation yourself before. Maybe you will be in that situation in the future. How should you respond in that situation? That's what we're going to be looking at today. And if you have a look from verse 1, you see that David is clearly in some kind of trouble. His pursuers are chasing him and tearing him apart like lions and he's calling on God to save him. But as you read into verses 3 and 4, we discover exactly what kind of trouble he is in. It's the trouble that comes from being falsely accused. David is being pursued like a criminal because someone has accused him of doing evil, something that he didn't do. The lions that he says he's facing in verse 2 are not literal lions. They are the attacks of his accusers and perhaps also the attacks of the people who believe those accusations and so judge him accordingly. And so David feels like he's being torn limb from limb like a lion tears its prey. Now the title of this psalm, gives us a bit more of a clue as to what might actually be going on here. It says it's from David, which he sang to the Lord concerning Cush, a Benjamite. So this guy called Cush from the tribe of Benjamin, we don't actually know any more about this guy Cush other than what David writes about him here. But one thing that occurs to me is that the tribe of Benjamin was the tribe that King Saul was from. And you might notice we've been reading through 1 Samuel through the past few months in our non-sermon Bible readings and we're just getting up to the point where King, sorry, not King David, David before his king has been in generally pretty good favour with Saul but those things are about to change. 
Saul is about to really start becoming quite negative towards David to the point where he's continually trying to kill him. And David spends years of his life on the run from Saul because Saul is trying to kill him. Saul has like a vendetta against David. And so I find myself wondering, is this guy Saul, this guy Cush from the tribe of Benjamin, from Saul's tribe, whispering in Saul's ear negative things about David? Hey, Saul, you can't trust that guy, David. He's trying to take your throne from him. Hey, Saul, you can't trust that guy, David. You need to do something about him. You need to get rid of him. Now, that's just a guess, but clearly that's the kind of situation that this psalm is addressing. David has been accused of something that he didn't do, and now he's in trouble because of it. And this is not just about feeling indignant you know, because someone has, you know, someone's cut in front of you in the traffic and then they blast their horn at you as if you're the one who's done something wrong, you know, that experience, and you feel that, that indignation, that anger boiling in you. We do kind of have this inbuilt sense of anger at injustice of being wrongly accused. But this is talking about when you're actually facing real consequences, like being framed for a crime or facing a corrupt judge. Now, we live in a country where injustice in the court system is, I think, an exception rather than the rule. And we should be thankful for that. We should be thankful for the fact that justice is normally served and we expect that it should be. But it's not something that we should take for granted. It could happen that you find yourself in some kind of legal trouble because someone has lied about you. But perhaps more likely for us, I think a situation that's more common for us that this psalm also addresses is when someone slanders us. You know, they make up lies, they gossip about us, they want to ruin your reputation and drag your name down into the mud. Maybe it doesn't have legal consequences, but it does cause real trouble because people believe what they say about you. And as a result, they treat you differently Your friends abandon you. Maybe you miss out on a promotion at work because of the the deliberate lies of others. Most of us have probably experienced being falsely accused in that way, in, in some kind of example. Maybe it's at work or at school. Maybe it's amongst friends or family. Maybe even at church. It stings to be treated like that. And not only does it feel unjust, it causes real problems. We feel like we're being ripped apart by lions, like David says. And this psalm shows us how to respond when we find ourselves in that situation. What's the first thing we should do? The first thing we should do is make sure we actually are innocent. Make sure we really are innocent, that there is no truth to the accusations. That's what David does in verses 3 to 5. Let me read from verse 3. Lord, my God, if I have done this, and there is any guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil, or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue me. Let him trample my life to the dust. Make me sleep in the dust. So he's saying, if I've done this, if there is any guilt in me, then let me get what I deserve. 
Now, that's not something to say lightly, is it? If I've done this, let me get what I deserve. It's easy to see your own side of the story. We're quick to cry out against injustice that we feel and assume that I'm in the right and the other person is the one who's done the wrong. It's not fair. I haven't done anything wrong. But is that true this time? Sure, it's true sometimes, but it's not true all the time, is it? Sometimes we have done the wrong thing. So if I'm calling God to act against injustice that I'm feeling, I need to take a good hard look at myself first. David is fully aware that God knows his own heart better than David does. And in verse 9, he knows that God is a God who searches hearts and minds. Nothing gets past him. So if I'm going to call on God to judge my case, which is where he goes next, then I want to make sure that I've got my own house in order first. See, what starts out as me feeling hard done by and angry at injustice might actually end up being an opportunity for me to repent. Whatever the other person's motives are and however much they might have twisted things, this gives me an opportunity to search my own heart and to ask God to search it. And if there is any truth in what they are saying, then I need to have the humility to recognise that and to set things right or to accept the consequences. So I guess verses 3 to 5 are like a checkpoint in the psalm. Don't go past this point before you've done what David does and examined your own heart and seen whether there is any truth in the accusations. But having done that, David does then call on God to act as judge because he knows that when God judges, justice is served. Wrongs are put to right. And so from verse 6, he says, Arise, Lord, in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God, decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them on high. Let the Lord judge the peoples. Vindicate me, Lord, according to my righteousness, according to my integrity, O Most High. Bring to an end the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God, who probes minds and hearts. See, God, what David wants to see God's court in session because he knows that when that happens, there will be no injustice. That God does see to the heart and to the mind that when God judges, the guilty are condemned and the innocent are set free. Imagine if we had a judge like that in our courts who could read hearts and minds it, it wouldn't be a matter of you know one team's legal team making their arguments and the other side's legal team making their arguments and there'd be no risk of the fact that the that it was just whichever had the most money and the best legal team would win. It would actually be real justice. The judge would walk in and he would look at one person and he would look at the other person and he would see hearts and minds and then he would deliver his verdict and it would always be right and it would always be fair. David knows that's what God's judgment is like. And so he pleads with God to put on his judge's robe, to take his judge's gavel and to take his seat in judgment. And just to be clear, 
This is not primarily talking about God's judgment at the end of time that we naturally think of when we think of God's judgment. David is talking about vindication in the present moment, in his circumstances that he's experiencing at the moment, that the lies and slander will be silenced, that his name will be cleared of whatever wrongdoing he's accused of. That's what David is asking for. But the very fact that David is here pleading for God to act as judge says to us that he's not experiencing that right now, is he? He's not experiencing God's justice right now. What he's experiencing is injustice. The slander of others is working. People are believing the lies that are told about him. He feels like someone who's been cornered by a lie and he's got nowhere to go. David knows that God is a just judge, but he's not experiencing God's justice right now. What do you do in that situation? How can David continue to trust God when the very thing he's pleading for is not happening? And I think this is really important because this is what we experience too. David continues to trust God because of something else that he knows about God. So yes, David knows that God is a just judge, that he sees evil and he puts wrongs to right. But the other thing that David knows is that God holds back from judgment sometimes. He doesn't always bring his wrath immediately. He relents from bringing judgment. And that's what it says from verse 11. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword. He will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons. He makes ready his flaming arrows. See, our present experiences of injustice is not because God's justice has failed in some way. It's not because God hasn't seen. It's because God doesn't always deliver his justice immediately. David says God is there as a judge with his, with his bow and arrow ready to go and his sword is in his hand, but he's holding back his judgment. And, you know, we should be thankful that God does hold back his judgment, that he doesn't always deliver it immediately in the moment because, you know, there are things that I have done and there are things that you have done that deserve God's judgment. If God always brought his judgment immediately, then we would all be destroyed immediately. Every single one of us, because we are not just the victims of injustice, we are also sometimes the perpetrators of injustice. So God's relenting gives us the opportunity to repent. And the Bible tells us that God held back in the past so that he could send Jesus to take the penalty that we deserve. And now he holds back still so that we can turn to Jesus in repentance and trust. And so if our experience of injustice reminds us of that, that God is giving us and others the opportunity to repent, then that's a good thing, isn't it? And so every time we experience injustice, it should cause us to reflect on that, that God has delayed his judgment for our good. God's relenting is a good thing. But in our present experience, it's easy to think that God maybe doesn't see, isn't it? 
that God doesn't see the injustice and the evil that's around us or that we experience. And so the tempting alternative to trusting God, the tempting alternative is to take matters into my own hands and get the justice that I think that I deserve. So if someone is gossiping about me, well, I'll gossip about them. If someone is trying to drag my name into the mud, well, two can play at that game. When we experience unjust treatment and accusations, the tempting alternative is to stoop to the level of the person who is wronging us and to fight for what I think I deserve to get our justice. This psalm is about not doing that. It's about being the person who takes refuge in God and who trusts his judgment instead of returning wrong for wrong. So what can stop us from going down that path of revenge? Well, for one thing, it's getting our understanding of God right. The better we know God, the better we are able to trust him. And have a think what a difference it would make to our feelings of injustice if we had this picture of God in our minds that David does. That when I call to, on God to act as judge, I know that he's there. I know that he sees and he knows what's going on. In fact, he's there ready to, to deliver his judgment. He's just holding back for the time being. He hasn't released his arrow yet. But he's, he could at any moment. He's, he's there and he's ready. Nothing is getting past him. He's just holding back for the moment. That's the God who we are trusting to deliver justice. And that's what David knew. And I think that's what held David's hand back when he was facing unjust treatment. You think about the times when David was being pursued by King Saul and had the opportunities to kill Saul. Think about David trying to justify that in his mind, going, this would solve all my problems right now. I'm being falsely accused. He's trying to kill me. I could just kill him and my problems would be solved. But no, David trusted in the God who brings justice in his timing. And that stayed his hand. That held his hand from taking justice into his own hands. And we do well to have this same picture of God for ourselves. So next time you face injustice, remember that God is right there. He sees he knows nothing is getting past him. He's just holding back his judgment for the time being. But even though God does hold back in judgment, we still do see God's judgment in the present. Maybe not completely, maybe not always, but that's what we see in verses 14 to 16. We see that evil brings its own trouble. From verse 14, whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole, scoops it out and falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own head. We do see God's judgment in this life, in part, in the ways that evil brings its own consequences. The one who digs a pit to trap others, it says here, falls in that pit themselves. The one who causes trouble lands in trouble. 
Now, this is not a universal truth for every situation, but it is a general truth that people who gossip end up being seen for what they are and they destroy the relationships around them. That liars get caught in their own web of lies and people don't trust them anymore. That people who are violent become the victims of their own violence. It might seem sometimes like the person who cheats wins. You know, they're not playing by the rules and so they have an unfair advantage. They always come out on top. And maybe that is the case sometimes. But it's also true that evil brings its own trouble. And David is reminding himself and us so that we don't go down that same path, so that we trust God to deliver his justice, even if it's a bit slow in coming. What will you gain if you play the same game as the person who is wronging you? Maybe you'll gain some temporary satisfaction, maybe some temporary relief from the difficult situation that you are in. But maybe you'll also discover this truth, that evil brings its own trouble. Now to finish, I don't know if you noticed, but this psalm doesn't actually have a resolution to David's problem. It doesn't end with David praising God because God has delivered the justice that he was asking for. It does end with David praising God, but the actual problem that he was in that's just left hanging. We don't find out what happens there. And I wonder if it's left like that to help us when we don't get the justice that we want. I wonder if this psalm is less about seeing the good results and more about trusting God while we experience the problem. David begins the psalm, you notice, distressed at the injustice of his situation and in the process of turning to God in dependence and trust, it has led him to rejoice with confidence in God that he can trust him, even if he hasn't seen the justice that he wants. It's like he began with tunnel vision. You know how when you've got a problem, you can really end up with tunnel vision where all you can see is the problem before you? But David is committed to turning to God in the midst of this problem. He says, I'm taking refuge in you, God. And as he pours out his heart to God and as it reminds him of who this God is and how he can trust this God, the blinkers begin to come off and he begins to, begins to see things more clearly. And so even without a resolution yet, David can praise God because he knows that this is a God of justice. He knows that he can trust God to deliver his justice in his own timing. And of course, the perfect example of this is Jesus. Jesus trusted in the justice of his father, even to the point of death. Now, Jesus was experiencing massive injustice at the hands of wicked men. But this is where we see that God's justice goes beyond what we see in this life. God vindicated Jesus. God showed his innocence by raising him from the dead. And that was a proof that God's justice goes beyond the grave. That even if we don't see vindication in this life, there may be things that we do not see vindication for in this life. But we can know that God's final justice is absolute and perfect. And so in the meantime, we can trust him. 
That's the goal of this psalm, that we learn to trust God's justice so that we don't go down the path of doing wrong to set things right ourselves and so that we can rejoice in the goodness and certainty of God's justice while we wait, whether it comes in this life or in the final resurrection. Let's pray that we'll trust him in that. Heavenly Father, you know the situations in life where we have or perhaps even currently are experiencing injustice. Father, may we learn from David in this situation to trust that you are a God of justice, that you see, that you know, that you are a judge whom nothing gets past. Father, may this also help us to consider our own hearts to see whether accusations made against us have any basis and that it may lead us for, to an opportunity to repent. But Father, we do ask that you'll help us to trust you, that we will trust that you will deliver your justice and that we won't take matters into our own hands so that we wrong others as they have wronged us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.